0: I'm podcasting to you from a field full of angry and loud cattle, so bear that in mind. It is still quite a beautiful version of rural Ireland, however, and I'm Trev Downey, joining me to give their immediate reactions not so immediate really, to Liverpool 5, Alves 4, in the UEFA Cup final from the Westfalen Stadium in Dortmund are Dave Hendrick and Harry Seti. Dave, I mean, the contrast between this one and the last one we did is mental. Uh, What I did find frustrating was I could not find a full version of the match with English commentary. So I was watching, uh, I watched a French one and a Spanish one, And in the end, it's weird how central to the experience that was when we did the last one, the Barry Davies commentary actually coloured quite a lot of our reflections. So it's a bit of a loss, this one, I have to say, in terms of that. For me, maybe you guys were able to dig up something different. Um, So I found myself watching highlights packages uh, with English commentary quite regularly and doing a lot of reading and reading match reports and finding that a little bit more interesting. Do Do you know what I mean about the? centrality of the commentary it's no wonder we talk about it on raw so often
2: yeah but i think that's the thing we, we do talk about it on raw a lot in terms of you know how poor the commentators are now when compared to the likes of you know of barry davies and john motson and people like that who were these wonderful commentators in the 70s and 80s and 90s who could like you said color a game who had come from that radio background so we're used to being descriptive in their commentary and still re- re- still did their commentary as if they were doing it on the radio and they were describing everything. Whereas now, you listen to Martin Tyler and he's like, well, you've got eyes, you can see what's going on yourself, so I'm just going to call in certain moments. It's why I actually enjoy now listening to foreign commentary that I don't understand because they just seem to get far more excited and I have no idea what they're saying I I told said to before I I found this Arabic streaming service that had wonderful commentary that I had no fucking clue what they were saying but they were so excited by everything that was going on it actually improved the game but I do know what you mean for this one because it's still of, of that era and having done the Barry Davies one the last time it was quite a a jolting change, but for me, because I've watched quite a lot of games over the last couple of years with commentary that I didn't understand, it didn't really put me off all that much.
0: Well, that's I'm glad to hear that because you know I'm going to be kind of re- relying uh, on yourself and Harry for for uh, the usual analysis without maybe being in the position I usually am myself because I, I did I found it a weird a weird uh, experience. Harry, this is the first of these for you, man. Mm. Uh, and we 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 have to address this uh straight out the gap because actually it was part of the discussion either on or off Mike at the end of the last one when we were trying to work out what we do next and I think God bless him Dave was picking this one because it was a comparatively modern match, and you 're a comparatively young man uh when're ta- when you're ta- when you're in the same uh group as 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 myself and himself, and again hmm. there 's a gap there even between us. So I mean, what what kind of age are you talking about? You were when this game was going on? Because it's twenty this is twenty it's twenty one
3: years ago, man. This right? two thousand and one, right? Yeah. So I was um uh, what was I say? I was ten years old. Okay, that's not too bad.
0: So you you're mm. you're you're you're, you're, you're ha- happily aware of everything that's going on because we did the last yeah. one. Uh, I was too young to know. What was going on in 77, 78 was my first game. Jim, however, had sort of memories of it and was aware and had been watching football for a yeah. season or so. Uh, but you're talking about 10-year-old use, You're obviously in full football fan mode at that point. So that's going to be an interesting kind of take because when you go back and revisit those things that you do have strong memories of, sometimes... It's a very, very different experience than you actually remembered. And I wondered as you reviewed this game. I mean, for me, that game just meant chaos. That's how I recall <laughs> that game—utter chaos. Uh, and I, I was fucking annoyed, Harry. I was annoyed because it was like we were chucking away uh, <laughs> an opportunity at every single uh, every single chance we could. I, I really wanted us to get that treble over the line. As you reviewed it, was it calm? Because I got I found all that anxiety and annoyance rebuilding in me as I was watching this game again.
1: Yeah,
3: I, I think I think there was a sense of calm just because obviously you know the result and you know that it, it, it ends in a happy story. Um, but uh, it's it's difficult, you know. I, I was, I, as we were watching it, as I was watching it, I, I found it really hard not to try and apply. The standards i think we've we've gotten used to applying to looking at games together um certainly the, over the past few years being being in a really lucky position to watch you know the, the way in which the the current liverpool team has evolved and sort of the, the the level which they're playing at some of the the world-class um you know footballers that we're talking about who set their own standards and those you know, bits in this game where whether it be just a, a complete you know Lack of interest in keeping the ball, whether it be sort of, you know, just, I'd, I'd, I'd almost forgotten sort of that, you know, Vesterveld, if you didn't know much about him, it looks like he could be quite a, sort of a level headed and straightforward kind of keeper, uh, meat and drink, but every now and then just reminded <laughs> you very much that he was not that keeper. Um, I'd, 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 I'd sort of forgotten about Stefan Honcho, um, which was, I mean, I think I'd gone through a lot of very expensive, uh, Therapeutic work to, to, to the show, <laughs> <laughs> um, except when uh, you know I'm, I'm with my uh, Arsenal relatives that I mentioned to you because I always I always remember his uh, his uh, wonderful wonderful theatrics there to prevent uh, Thierry Henry from scoring a perfectly valid goal, um, of course. But it, it, it was a weird one, so I, I try I try not to apply the really ruthless standards that we do when we're looking at people like Alison and, and players in our team now who are, who, who are setting such ridiculous standards. Um, that was difficult. But yeah, you mentioned my age and I think it was it was an interesting one because I grew up in um in, in, in North London and so really uh like the vast majority of my friends were Arsenal or Tottenham fans, as were my like quite a lot of my family. And it was only my dad who'd been a lifelong red um who was sort of trying to trying to sell, you know, this uh no, no, you should support this club. Um and I think around about eight, nine, ten and that was when I really started to sort of watch it properly. Um, yeah, started to, uh, recognize more about individual players was sort of understanding what styles I liked and didn't like and things like that. So yeah, it was, it was, it was a nice trip down, um, memory lane watching this game. Um, and also just remembering just how many times a seemingly straightforward fixture, uh, Liverpool made hard work of it
0: i'd love to tell you that that was my experience too but i was sadly a grown-ass man of 27 with a child at that point in my life <laughs> so it was quite a contrast quite that a contrast sense, yeah. <laughs> so so uh I, I i again and you know it it, it it's just relevant because it's going to color how we talk about the game because how yeah. we remember it initially does and you know Dave, there's so much that I'd like to talk about with the game because this season, this 2000-2001 season, on a personal note, made me sort of really get back to mm. the 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 oh fanatical uh, nature yeah. of support. My my college years were from early into the mid 90s. And then, like I said, towards those late nineties, my kid was born in 1998. So you necessarily take your eye off the ball a little bit, but there's also something about that, that uh, had me back in regular uh, sort of uh, hours and, and and having to be around all the time. So the TV was going on and it, through 2000, 2001, I started watching lots of football again, never missed the Reds game, but that little dark period from the mid, Early to mid-90s and in towards the late 90s, that's a bit of a grey area for me and it was a, very much a grey area for the club this season, Dave. I mean, we've seen United fans denigrate it. We've all read the um, plastic treble bullshit. But this was absolutely huge for this club and this guy, Jared Houllier, who had instilled a new culture, modernised it in a, in a really, really clear way, and was reaping the rewards and it felt very special to me, Dave. I- I've I've such fond memories of this season, uh, even though the results weren't always fantastic in the Premier League, but it was just an exciting, exciting season.
2: It was, very much so. And it's worth remembering that at the time, only the top three got into the Champions League and we finished third, only a point behind Arsenal. Um, after a really good sort of late season surge in the Premier League, where we won six of our last seven, um, I was fortunate enough to be at this game, this two thousand and one UEFA Cup final. Um, tickets obtained through uh, a manner that would have gotten me banned from playing rugby if if people had found out how I got it. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> Part part of a bribery package that took me to a certain part of the country I hadn't previously intended to go to Was regular tickets to go see Liverpool So I actually got to go to quite a few games this year And like you, I'd sort of Between, you know, like finishing school Junior cert, leaving cert Playing a lot of rugby You know, travelling, playing rugby and things like that I'd sort of And the fact that Liverpool just weren't very good for a couple of years I'd sort of drifted a little bit in my kind of teen years, uh, not just from Liverpool, but from kind of from football in general for a few years. Um, you know, I'd still get excited for like a World Cup or a European Championship, but not so much for club titles or club games and things like that. Um, but this season really was kind of, in part because I'd been given the opportunity to go to a lot of the games and in part because the team got so much better. But this season really was the one that lifted a lot of gloom. Because if you if you think about it, we started the 90s winning that league title in 89-90. Yeah. And then, obviously, we win the FA Cup in 92. And we, we've done a podcast on that game before. But from 92 to 01, the only thing we win is that League Cup, the McManaman final. We lose an FA Cup final to United, and while our league form isn't bad, and there's a lot of good football being played, the the Roy Evans team were very entertaining. It it wasn't like, you found it hard to get really excited, because especially living in Ireland, you you didn't get to see, like we're talking pre-internet, pre-streaming. You only really got to see Liverpool if they were on Sky. You didn't get to see them otherwise, and back then we were only really on sky if we were playing a big team you know Scott, it wasn't like today where there's hundreds of games there was one game a week sometimes two you might get a monday night game as well but it was really rare to see liverpool live at that point like in those the late 90s but this season was just it was just a complete roller coaster because like you said the league form wasn't great, uh, especially in the first half of the season. We lost one, two, three, four, five, six, six games in our first 19 and we lost number 20. Um, but then we did, like I said, we went in that really good run late in the season, but there was a big mixed bag in the league. But the Cups were sort of sustaining us, especially this competition um, and like the FA Cup back then was still seen as very, very important. The FA Cup back then was the type of trophy that if you didn't win the league, but you won the FA Cup, you'd had a great year. Um, so, you know, with, with having both of those to kind of sustain you through some of the dog days of that mid-season, it was, you could keep you on board. And Julier, there was a likability about Julier. There was something where you could relate to him Because he didn't seem like a football manager, like he was very a very humble man, quite softly spoken, and
0: you 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 remember the Jack Charlton conversation, a dig at Hulie says. I'm not a fan of school teachers and football as yeah. well. but Jack yeah. said uh, and there was still that you're still talking about transitionary period where Arsene Wenger and his methodology are being is being questioned as well. Yes yeah. it's, it, 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 it's a culture shift and and Gerard Houllier was the one who ushered it in for us. You know uh, And like
2: the thing is we're we're 15 years on at this point we're 15 years on or 14 years on from Rigol Saki a former shoe salesman been appointed manager of AC Milan and going on to craft arguably the greatest club side the game has ever seen. Yes. And yet there's still this old school football mentality that if you haven't played the game, you shouldn't talk about the game. You can't manage in the game. But as Saki said himself, do you need to have been a horse to become a jockey?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a great line. It's a great line and uh, we'll keep coming back to Gerard Houllier as we go through this because I think he warrants it. And Harry, just to 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 pivot a, 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 again back to you for a more general point at the start of this. There's a lot of good footballers that have come in on Gerard Houllier's watch and a couple of great ones that have come through the system. Uh, it's a weird time for the club. You've got... Uh, Owen and you've got Fowler and you've got uh Stevie Gerrard and you've got uh Jamie Carragher and they're all sort of you know from our uh Underage teams coming through. This is obviously very, very exciting, and is very early in their careers. Jamie Carragher playing left back this season, which is um, actually one of his best <laughs> seasons for the club, you know. Uh, and 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 he he went to, uh, obviously played across the back for uh, Stevie Gerrard, just emerging as this character. And I went to look for the DVD that I had of this treble season just to watch it uh, and watch all the other games that would have been um, played in the lead up to this um, chaotic match that we're going to focus on. And of course, Harry, it's a bloody VHS, isn't it? And I've got nothing to play VHS on, but I found it on YouTube, that exact thing that I had. And one of the interesting things was, I guess, the ambition levels. Michael Owen at one stage, the fated young Michael Owen, at his peak really, uh, says to one of the Sky interviewers at one point, oh, well, the gaffers told us that two points a game gets us Champions League. So you do the sums there at 72 points. Uh, so if we if were on track for that. I think at this stage they had like 10 out of 15 points in the opening part of the season. And I just, I just felt we have surged forward so much. Under Jurgen Klopp, but like I said to Dave, this was a really important surge forward too, or even just sticking our heads back in the area where the, the club bloody should be, mm. having
3: had the doldrums of the of of, of the of the nineties. Yeah, no, completely. And it's it's interesting hearing you both speak about it there in terms of sort of maybe having a period where for whatever reason you didn't didn't follow it as greatly or slightly a little bit more disillusioned with things given that the club weren't doing necessarily that well. And um, obviously for me, it was it was sort of a different period of sort of like the the building blocks of sort of my football fandom around. I just get I get a lot of stick, not from Tottenham fans, because obviously, but from Arsenal fans, especially in that era. Um, and it seems to have continued <laughs> continued throughout the decades, despite uh, wherever they are on the table. Um, just a, a lot of stick when you're growing up around what you know. Why are you supporting this team? And you know, like your are rubbish, and and like uh, a lot of uh, quite arrogant stuff that being thrown around. And I'm, I'm sure I questioned my dad a bunch of times around you know <laughs> you know why was it that you first started supporting this team? Why don't you support a local team or whatever? And uh, and then like yeah he yeah he to his credit he, I, I remember him showing me. Uh, videos of the you know the the past greats, the games that you were sort of talking about around you know where Liverpool's sort of real foundations of sort of success and um, greatness were built upon. And so for me, this season uh, and sort of the success that we had in the season, and I think you're right, even though I probably didn't appreciate it at the time. The modernization that was coming in through Hulia and through some of the recruitment and and, and and through some of the the culture changes that were going on. It was really sort of the, the start of my sort of throwing my weight around a little bit as a football fan. Well, you know, yes, th- 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 this is a team that's, you know, it's it's, it's, it's winning. It's, it's a treble season. You can make fun of it all you want if it's not the seemingly not the trophies that you think are. The um the ones that are most important I think people would probably look at it um sort of these days and 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 maybe be quick to say that but I think Dave's right you know some of those trophies were still held in very high high esteem in those days and um I th- I think there was something about the way in which we did it as well with that little bit of chaos thrown in there as well that as a younger football fan um who's sort of growing into the game uh, even more made it you yeah, know, even more exciting, right? And you know some of those names that you were mentioning there from who'd come through the through the Academy were obviously sort of uh players that I was drawn towards. But I even sort of rewatching it, just, uh, yeah, remembered sort of the fondness I had towards uh, you know, Gary Mack and um Marcus Babel at his best at times and uh of course uh, yeah Big Sammy Hoopier as well. So just to watch those watch those plays as well and rediscover sort of how I was sort of, you know, felt towards them as a, as a kid was, um yeah, it was definitely a, a fun experience.
0: My five-a-side nickname in the era was Hesky for my
3: barreling style. Hesky as well though. Cause I, 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 I remember just, you know, watching Heskey when Heskey was really good you know? and um, yeah, and I yeah. feel like he, he, so, he so quickly became this sort of like joke figure especially on the internet around when that sort of football culture on the internet started growing a lot more on vlogs and FIFA culture as well he was definitely became a real figure of fun but um, yeah I, I, I remember him being a, a real force of nature for at least a couple of seasons before things tailed off for him. He was so so
0: good Harry and actually the, the contrast and comparison with Arsenal must have been really painful for you because you're talking uh, a wonderful <laughs> wonderful team their yeah. prime era uh, Thierry Henry I mean Jesus Christ it's uh, it, that must have been particularly <laughs> particularly uh, painful <laughs> uh, by way of comparison all right you yeah, can just imagine uh, your your uh, your London mates um, digging you out all right but we 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 just want to set this up a little bit uh, Dave as well because. Just to talk about, bring it back to Gerard Houllier, before we get to the game, just there was a big influx of players at the start of this season. Mm. Now, we obviously had a lot of good lads on the book, but in June, we bring in Bernard Diomed. Uh, we bring in, in July, uh, Gary Mack, who's obviously transformative. Uh, Peggy Arfexad, less said the better. Marcus Babel, who's already been mentioned and may well be my favorite ever right back for liverpool and also nick barnby and also christian Ziga. uh mm. and then in the september we bring in gregory vignal uh daniel siolon comes in in november of the 7th of december we bring in igor bishkan and the magnificent yari and joins in the 4th of january 2001 but that little initial group i think Ziga was the latest the latest one to arrive i don't think I, I don't think Ziga was done in July. I think Ziga came at the very start of the season or even when the season had started. But There I was a big happened.
2: protracted mess over that because we paid a buyout clause in his contract that we had no real reason to know was in his contract. And so Borough reported us for tapping up because That's they were right. looking to get like 10, 11 million from him. Because you have to remember, at the time, Christian Ziege was seen as one of the best left backs in world football.
0: Yeah, he was, seen as he was the starting.
2: Now. Yeah, he was the starting German left back. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's what happened. It got delayed for months because of I, that's I, that's what I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I think it was because because of that thing, there was a big like legal thing that dragged on for like a month or two, uh, and we ended up paying a bit of compensation. I think we got a fine as well. And a couple of slaps in the wrist, but I mean that's that's a very holier type of window where or a Julia type of seasons worth of transfers so Diamed the guy that at the time again pre-internet we didn't really know who he was three million on this French winger Julit knew the French market so we, we put a bit of trust in him. Gary Mack, obviously everybody knew he'd been part of that really great Leeds team that won a league title. Uh, He'd somehow found his way to Coventry, um, which I think was a shock to everybody when he went there. Um, I I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was something to do with wanting to be back in the Midlands where he lived when he was at Leicester. Um, But regardless, he was far too good to have gone to Coventry. Oh, Strachan was the manager as well for a while, so that probably played a part. Um we well, yeah, we got Gary Mack who at 36, you know, we all thought, okay, good squad player to have, brings experience, and and that'll help because you know Gerard is coming through, Danny Murphy at the time was seen as a very promising young midfielder. Um we'd obviously signed, I think, Didi Dee Dee Hammond the year before this. And Marcus Babel, I, I just I remember hearing that we'd signed Marcus Babel and thinking it was a mistake. Not, not that we'd signed him, but that somebody got gotten their wires crossed. I was like, there's no way we've signed Marcus Babel. Yeah. This guy's one of the best defenders in the world. There's no way we've signed for free. How have I we know. gotten this guy for free? He's unbelievably good.
0: Yeah, I love him.
2: And like you said, until Trent appeared, Marcus Babel was absolutely the benchmark for a Liverpool right back. Now, his Liverpool career obviously was ruined by uh, the illness that he suffered, but without question, Marcus Babel was world-class, absolutely world-class. Um Then, you know, Gregory Vignal, the young player you're taking a punt on. Nicky Barnby had been very good for Spurs, had gone to Middlesbrough, had done pretty well there, but then they signed Janinho, and the two of them couldn't really play together, so he ends up at Everton, but he's still a good player. Uh We nab him. Daniel Sjoland, I remain convinced to this day that the only reason we signed him was because we were trying to sign Yari Lipmanen and they had the same agent. I don't know if they had the same agent, but it's the only logical thing I can think of. And Igor Bishkan. Now, Igor would do some good things for us in later years. He played an important part in the run to the Champions League win in 05. The Deportivo away in particular, I think it was the, the game he stood out. But we signed him and we could have signed Michael Ballack. So, <laughs> I've always had a bit of an issue with, with that one. <laughs> Plus, this was one of the first ones where, like, there was a period of time where every player we signed, Gerard Houllier would call them the next something. Like, well, they're the next. I I think this guy is the next. Oh, and then, yeah. Like, like Bruno Sheru, remember, was the next Sudan. Sudan. Yeah, 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 yeah. As far as I can... And, and like... Florence Pongal was the next, Enelka and Nelka and Natalak was the next Platini or some garbage. I think he said Igor Bishkan was the next Vieira. If well. memory serves, that's what he said. Um, so, yeah, none of that's good. Uh, but, like, again, we've brought in Gary Mack, we've brought in Marcus Babel, and they would go on to be foundational pieces. The Ziga deal just didn't work. Um, he, he never really settled. And, like you guys mentioned, Carragher's playing left back despite being right footed and you know, relatively slow, uh, while this absolute weapon just can't get in the team because he he's not performing well enough. But what's notable that summer as well, Trev, is is some of the players that left. Oh yeah, Stigging Stig- Bjornaby, who'd just been around forever, crossing the ball from the halfway line because why would you bother going any further to cross it? Uh, Phil Bab, who became known to everybody after the '94 World Cup. Um, Liverpool paid a fortune for him and it turned out he was only ever good when Paul McGrath was holding his hand. The highlight of his Liverpool career is him sliding bollocks first into a goalpost. Uh, David Thompson was a a quality young midfielder that I think there was a lot of high hopes for, just didn't work out. Uh, Dominic Matteo, whose most notable thing at Liverpool, I think, was the year he bleached his hair with Robbie Fowler, Um, but was was a solid player. Brad Friedel, was meant to be this great goalkeeper, couldn't get a work permit, and then for whatever reason, it just never worked. Uh, he'd go on to Blackburn on a free, and went on to be a great goalkeeper for them for years. Rigobert Song, whose most famous Liverpool moment was when Gerard Houllier said, uh, Robbie Fowler was eating the grass in tribute to Rigobert Song. But <laughs> he was to snort a line. Uh, Steve Staunton, Liverpool legend, this was the end of his second spell at the club. Uh, Eric Meyer left in December and then turned up in Dortmund for the final in the crowd with the fans drinking cans and just been absolutely hilarious. Uh, Titi Camera, who I loved, not wasn't a great player, but that guy's dad died and he played because he wanted to play in honour his dad and he scored and he burst into tears. And now he spends a lot of his time trolling Everton fans on Twitter, which is just wonderful.
0: Oh, he's great, um,
2: Hacker Inge goodnessson, who I have no memory of at all, and John Newby, who was a young lad that came through and just didn't make the grade. So he sold a lot of players as well as bought a lot of players. Hulia was an underrated wheeler-dealer. Like, there's a little bit of Harry Redknapp in, in Jed. If he'd spent a bit more time hanging out of car windows talking to Sky Sports, <laughs> it, you know, he might have gotten a bigger profile. But, um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a lot of work being done in the transfer market over the course of... Of that season. Uh, Some of it good. Some of it bad. But like Gary Mack and Marcus Babel. uh, It infuriates me when I hear people say. You know. Who are the best free transfers Liverpool ever had. And Marcus Babel never gets mentioned. Never gets mentioned. Despite the fact that. He is by far the best player we've ever signed in a free.
0: By far. By By a mile. Bioville, I love the idea of Chad being in uh, in Jim White's speed dial uh, section. All right, I have to say uh, that's an interesting one. Uh, let's just put this see- season in context, and um, for those who are thinking back and wondering what the hell was actually happening back in that time, um, you know, it's 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 just a, a cultural uh, a, a point of interest. And this was suggested by somebody, and I, I apologize profoundly. I cannot find who it was that suggested this to me. I thought it was a fantastic idea. So I just want to give a little bit of, now obviously second half of 2001, we all know the big paradigm-shifting world event that happens in September. But we're just going to look at the first half just to let you know what kind of things are going on. Believe it or not, in January of 2001, iTunes was launched. That's quite interesting and uh, relevant thing. Wikipedia is launched uh, as well, another sort of you know uh, cultural uh, uh, centerpiece. Uh, in the February of that year, uh, there was a couple of different things happen. Most notably for for me was, uh, because I remember this profoundly, was the foot and mouth outbreak across the UK. That was a a big old deal. In March of that year, uh, there was the space station Mir was deorbited, which uh, was being used at the time. Uh, In April, uh, we had, uh, well, lots of different things, but probably the most important cultural thing of note was, Slobodan Milosevic surrendering to uh, special forces and uh, eventually to be charged on war crimes. And then the, the, the Soyuz rocket lifted off as well with the first ever space tourist, an American called Dennis Tito. In May of that year, Tito returns and they actually left the Soyuz, there docked at the International Space Station as a new lifeboat, which I actually loved uh, reading about back in the time as well. Uh, Silvio Berlusconi won the General election. (laughs) Lots of stories we could talk about with Silvio to become the Prime Minister of of Italy. And in June, uh, to bring it home in terms of politics, Tony Blair and his Labour Party won a landslide victory for the second time. Uh, Tony Blair would go on to have very specific uh, involvements with the aftermath of that big event we spoke about on September 11th, but less said about that, the better. That's a little kind of cultural uh, snapshot of what was going on at the time historically. Um, let's get into this game and let's get into these teams because holy hell, this is an interesting game. Lots of events. Uh, Liverpool will start there, start off with, uh, Vesterveld and goal. They have, uh, Babel. Honcho, Hoopia, Carragher across their back four, Gerard, Murphy, Hamann and McAllister in midfield, Owen and Heskey up top. And it is very much that kind of, uh, sort of 4-4-2 shape. Uh, they have uh, Peggy Arfexad as sub-keeper, Vladi on the bench, Robbie Fowler's on the bench, Paddy Berger's on the bench, Nick Barnby is there too, alongside Greg Vinal and uh, Rice, another youngster who came through the Liverpool Academy. And... Um, I'm going to start off here because we're going to use this as a platform to talk about some of the players specifically. I've already alluded to the intense fondness I had for Emil Heskey at this time. It was hard not to really admire someone like Michael Owen, even though I don't know what it was. You just never really warmed to him uh, in the same way as he did to some others. But for me, just Robbie Fowler was, was what Liverpool was all about. And Robbie Fowler was the connective tissue between me and the club for those darker years and distant years that I spoke about. I just... I could not get enough of Robbie Fowler. I watched Liverpool to see Robbie Fowler. So, you know, it's brilliant for me that he goes on to score such a magnificent goal in this. Uh, and he has obviously that brilliant goal in the uh, in the um, League Cup final as well uh, the, the, to, to, to win it. An outrageous hit. This is... I think possibly top three favorite players for me. He might even be second after Kenny in terms of uh, just how I felt about him. He was outrageously talented, uh, Dave. And I'll get a take from, from, from Harry on him as well. An outrageously talented footballer. There's a sort of a feeling that... Um, you know, he never really got to the peaks he could have gotten to, and there was yeah. sort of a feeling that he was a bit of a, a bit of a sort of a likely lad, and maybe didn't take things as seriously as, as he could have, and all this kind of things. These are the stories and sort of rumors that persist. I honestly couldn't give a shit about any of them because for me, his contr- contribution to the club and his impact on me as a footballer was immense. I just can't speak highly enough of the footballer that was Robbie Fowler.
2: Oh, he was... Outrageously talented is exactly the the right way to describe him, Trev. He was incredibly gifted. Like, people always talk about him as this incredible finisher, which, of course, he was. But they act like that's all he was. Like, this guy could could beat players on the dribble with ease. He could ping a pass anywhere he wanted. Robbie Fowler had everything. I I don't think he got close to reaching his potential, but... I'm not going to sit here and say it was because of how he acted. It's because of the injuries. Like, his knee exploded. He had just constant problems with with injuries. You look at his first four seasons with the club. 93-94. He's 17. 17. Scores 18 goals in 34 games. Next season, he's 31-57. and 57, Then 36-53. in 31-44. That brings you to the end. Of the 96 97 season, when Robbie Fowler's 22 years of age, and he's that's a most
0: type run, Dave. That's yeah. a Moussala type. at
2: 22, Sala. he's put yes. together three world class seasons in a row. He's one of the best players in the country, and it's the next season, that 97 98 season, when the injuries start to, to really slow him down. But he still scores 13 and 28, the following season, he's 18 and 35, so he's still a goal every two games. You know, as opposed to the sort of two goals every three games he was for the previous few seasons, he's still scoring goals. Then, 99-2000, only plays 14 games, scores three goals. That's when I think he has the bad knee injury. Uh, Bounces back in this season with 17 in 48 across all competitions. Massively important in the League Cup, six and five games. Uh, And then the following season, obviously, is when he's sold mid-season. I remember seeing Fowler speak about this season about how he felt like Hulia was trying to force him out this year. And I have a theory that one of the reasons people don't respect Emil Heskey the way Heskey deserves to be respected for the player he was in his first few seasons at Liverpool is because Heskey is the one that sort of ended Fowler as a starter in the Liverpool team because Hulia preferred to have that big physical presence of Heskey along with Owen. And Fowler sort of became that third striker who didn't play as much as he should have, didn't play as many minutes as he should have, was off the bench a lot of times. And I do think there's a lot of, you know, our favourite player has just been taken out of the team by this fella. And yeah, he's good, but he's not our favourite player. I think there's a bit of that with Heskey. Now, obviously, when the end came for Heskey, it came quite drastically. He went to Birmingham, had one good season. And was then fairly, fairly poor beyond that. But Emil Heskey, when we signed him, was really good. It's just that he wasn't Robbie Fowler. And you could identify with Robbie Fowler, you know, even if you weren't from the city and you didn't have that connection to him, you could identify with a lad that lifted his shirt to show support for striking dockers. You could identify with a guy that took great pride in where he was from in a guy that wanted to have a laugh and do funny things like snorting a line, (laughs) you know, (laughs) not that, not that you'd be encouraging that type of behavior, of course, but you know, you could identify with him doing that type of thing as a bit of a piss take, because obviously it was in response to reports that that's what he'd been up to in his, you know, in his private life. If that was said about somebody now, they'd probably bring a lawsuit. Robbie's (laughs) answer was to get down and, and kind of market like. So yeah, I mean Fowler was he was he was ridiculous.
0: This is Absolutely a lad, of course. Ridiculous. This is a lad, of course, who who famously later called one of his racehorses some horse, and then the second one was some other horse. Uh so that the commentators would have to say that. <laughs> <That's> some horse. <laughs> <laughs> Remarkable! Some horse coming up on the outside, fantastic. You gotta love that. Uh, so, Harry, just to take it back to you again and again, like just there's the nice contrast there as well. In the early days of your sort of uh, burgeoning Liverpool support, who is it that takes? the pride of place in terms of your admiration from that lineup there? Who's, who's the guy that you're sort of uh, imprinting on as, uh, yeah, this is like going to be an all time favorite uh, player for me, or is there anyone from this squad?
3: I mean, I I think, I think the, the player who, I mean, I'm I'm trying to think better of the magazines that were coming out in those days that used to follow along with for, for football as well. I think they're they're obviously trying to push, um, uh, Michael Owen at that stage, I think. And he, was, he was he was he was very much uh, getting a lot of coverage. Uh, but from that lineup, I mean, I, I was trying to think whether or not Gerard was really on, really properly on my radar yet. And I was I was, I was watching his performance in the game, and you and obviously probably without being able to cut out all the you know, hindsight that I've got of, of, of the player that he he developed to to become so you you're watching it and you think oh yeah there's all these little flashes of the player that he he would later become like surely I was you know completely up on him when I was watching them as well but no I think I I, I think Heskey I think I was quite actually sort of a, a fan of Heskey like I was talking about I mean I think it not only because of how I felt he was sort of unfairly uh, sort of derided towards the end of his um career and so you know, I think even now people people don't really talk about how how much of a force he was when he was in his prime but um yeah i th- I think I just enjoyed his uh his style because it's, it's, it's sort of this slightly awkward uh sort of languid running style at times, and you know he would he'd, he'd put himself about to to win the ball and you'd think that he was doing it in quite maybe a like an uh, um Maybe not a purely intentional way, like j- just, just trying to be disruptive, trying to win the ball, but wasn't necessarily going to be directed. Was there an, an intent behind it? But actually, when you watch him in those early days as well, there was very often an intent behind it and there was very often good technique behind it that I don't think he was, um, he was actually given credit for so obviously Owen I think um at that stage, obviously he 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 then didn't become a lifelong hero for me because he 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 committed many cardinal sins uh, following his time at Liverpool. um but yeah it was, it's it's hard not to be sort of impressed by him i I, I honestly do remember being just a very big fan of uh, Patrick Berger and uh, uh Gary Mack for certain Gary mack uh, i I don't think I really uh, computed that he was 36 when he when he joined um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I had no idea how old I thought Gary mcallister was and I was constantly surprised by one only sort of the the level of his technique and I think that's I think that was evident um throughout this game in plenty of occasions but then also just the fact that he, he he'd still be there at sort of 85 minutes seemingly seemingly like with reserves of energy uh, which I wasn't necessarily expecting um so yeah definitely liked him and uh maybe not just at this stage was he 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 quite as much of a hero to me but um yeah I was I was a massive Sammy Hoopier fan by the time he ended up leaving the club as well so uh, he was somebody that I was um I was definitely drawn to as well Fowler as you mentioned I think is pretty pretty hard not to be impressed by him I think I was probably guilty of what uh, you know, Dave was mentioning there of just reducing him to being this awesome, naturally talented finisher, because I think there's so many examples, right, of uh, outrageous levels of finishing um, in situations where you maybe I don't know what the XG would be in those situations of plenty of his uh, plenty of his goals. But he he, he took his chances with a, a real ruthless touch. So he was another one as well. But I don't think I perhaps had the same. Yeah, the same level of connection with him from those who watched him sort of rise up through the uh, to the academy. Yeah,
0: that's, that's absolutely fair. And, you know, we do have to say just at some point in this podcast, because it's very tempting to sort of, you know, focus on what Michael Owen has gone on to be or become as a fella uh, and not really sort of celebrate how unbelievably good he was at this point of his career. Like just bananas levels. Of excellence. I was looking at that season review, and there's one stage where somebody just lumps a ball from the from the back, and he out jumps a centre half, takes it on his chest, and sort of directs it away. Uh, then runs to where the ball is, uh, and a bit of skill and tees up. I think it's Nicky Barmy who's coming through, and you're you're just looking at this guy going. Jesus, he really had it all. Obviously, ridiculous finisher. Uh, Julier pays tribute regularly to how he can score all the goals. Um, And he's always got that knack of being in the right place at the right time and all the rest of it. But just again, when you when he that strength and power and pace and energy and enthusiasm that you have as a as a youngster as well, that was one hell of a package, Harry. Uh, that 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 Michael Owen was at that stage of his career, like a, a a real a real asset to any team. And of course, you alluded to it. He mugs Arsenal and gets us that FA
3: Cup in this treble oh, yeah.
0: season. I remember, uh, what it's his brilliant
3: just weirdly yeah, I remember I, I can't remember where I was beforehand that made me end up watching this but I, I remember being I was annoyed with my uh with with my with, with my dad because he sent me to do something I can't remember what it was during the um during some of the game and it was getting towards uh the the end of it and I was I was furious that I was having to go out and and do some sort of chore, and uh, I ended up jumping into a chip shop, which 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 had it on on TV, and just <laughs> secretly hanging out there and watching watching the games. So I think I saw that goal in a chip shop in North London, which was uh, and yeah, there, 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 there was a Liverpool fan behind the uh, <laughs> the counter. But yeah, I always remember that with him, yeah, and, and the front flip, obviously.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Just just outrageous. And we'll come back to talk about him as we go through the details of the match. Just before we get there, Dave, uh, just to wrap up this first half of the show, we should have a look at the opposition on the night. Now, none of us are going to pretend that we are or we have deep knowledge about Alivez at that point because for Alaves to be there was quite yeah. uh, remarkable in, in, in and of itself. And they started with Herrera, poor Gelly or Jelly, who ends up uh, being on the on the, uh, the sort of decisive moment right at the end of extra time. Contra, Egan, Carmona, who got himself sent off, Teles Desio, Astudio, uh, Tomic, Javi Moreno, who is very much a focus uh, during the game. And... Young Cruyff, Jordy Cruyff, son of Johan. In on the bench, they had Kike uh, Begonia. They had Ortiz, Pablo Magno, who comes on uh, to interesting effect. Uh, Rel Ganan, Ivan Alonso, who comes on and gets them back in the game with a header, and as Coutya now. I will hold my hands up and say that I had no knowledge of Alaves at all. I think I had heard of um, uh, Javi Moreno, and obviously I knew Cruyff. Uh, that was it. That was a, Cruyff had done a little stint at United. Uh, that was it uh, in terms of my knowledge of them. So they were very much a surprise package. And... My fury was building as the match was going on, as I alluded to earlier on, because we were very much in control. And then I was going, "Who are these no marks who are going to deprive of, deprive us of this of this trophy in this outrageous game that we're going to talk about?" Um, and 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 my 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 annoyance was built very much in the fact that I had an ignorance about them as a group of players. Uh, what's your own memory of 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 what you made of them, or what you knew about them at the time?
2: Uh, My memory is thinking, who? When I saw, you know, uh, the only player I think I knew at the time um, would have been Jordi Cruyff. Maybe Dan Egan. I might, because he did play for Celta Vigo. I think he was in that Celta Vigo team with uh, Medvedev and and that. So uh, maybe him. But Jordi Cruyff was the one that. You knew, and you didn't even know him for him. You knew him because of who his dad was and the fact he'd been at United for a year or, well, a few years and never really played. Um, yeah, that was that was about it. Um, my, I, and to be fair, my most prominent memory of anything to do with Jordi Cruyff uh, was in early 2012, around April when the discussions were starting on Twitter of, you know, should Kenny go, if you remember back then. And yeah. uh, I was, you know, I was in the view of that he should go and that it was a mistake to give him the job permanently. He'd done a great job as caretaker, but we needed to move on. And we were in the midst of a horrible run in the league at the point. And I did a couple of tweets about it. And Paul Doglish called me a twat. And I told him to shut his mouth and that he was only a shit Jordi Cruyff, and uh, <laughs> and I love Paul and I get on quite well with him now whenever we have any interaction. But yeah, that was that's my most prominent Jordi Cruyff memory <laughs> is telling Paul Douglas he was only a shit Jordi Cruyff. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> that's the only you know, because like in fairness, he was a talented player was Jordi Cruyff, and at a club like Alaves or you know, that kind of mid-level club, he had a, a solid enough career with them and Espanyol and that. But the issue was he was obviously forced to a level that he just wasn't good enough for at Barca and at United because of who his dad had been. You know, there was this sort of... Obviously, at Barca, he came through the academy while his dad was the manager. And at United... Um, it was, I assume they signed him because of the, the name recognition, because that's when they were really starting to grow their brand. Um, but yeah, he was you know, he was a talented player, just never became anything close to what people were going to hype him up to me. I'm just reading here that uh, in later years, he became a centre-back, which when you consider he broke through as a winger, uh, kind of says it all really well, yeah, I mean, it was very much, a, you know, a who are Alaves? Who are these players? Don't know who they are. We're going to smash the granny out of these lads. We've just won, you know, two cups. We've won the, uh, we finished third in the league. There's no way they're beating us. We're winning this game. And and that's just how it's going to be. And um, it actually, to be fair, we didn't play our last league game, I don't think, until the following Saturday um but yeah we were we were strong favorites to win this game and and you expected us to win it comfortably coming off the back of beating arsenal in that incredible FA Cup final and as you mentioned michael owen at this point is just absolutely otherworldly in, in terms of the level of football that he's playing and you just expected us to win very very comfortably because when you looked at it and our path to the final is something that is, is quite fun here. So we beat Rapid Bucharest, scraped by them, to our pointing out. Uh we beat Slovan Liberec. Then we get a famous home win against Olympiakos, which obviously happens again five years later. Then we beat Roma in fairly, you know, uh Fairly powerful circumstances, and obviously, we would have more battles with Roma and a more kind of telling games against Roma in coming years. We beat Porto, who we seem to play every time we, we go into Europe, and then we beat Barcelona in the semi final.
0: Barcelona of, of Rivaldo, the Rivaldo, yeah, era.
2: like a, a massive upset that we beat them a nil nil draw away, a 1 nil win at home. It was surprising that we'd beaten them, and you looked at what they've done, and they beat. Some team from Turkey that I, I can't pronounce the name of. uh, Lilstrom, Rosenberg, like they're playing Norwegian teams in back-to-back rounds. You know, then they play Inter Milan and uh, Inter Garbage at the time. They did have some good players. Uh, They beat Rio Vallecano. They beat Kaiserslautern. Like, there's nothing you're seeing from them that's kind of worrying you. You know, they're just kind of there on the other side and you're not really paying any attention to them. So when we got them in the final, I was thinking, right, great. When when we were in the semi-final playing Barca, I do remember thinking, regardless, if we get past Barca, we're hammering whoever comes out of the other side. Because Kaiserslautern aren't good, and this lot I've never heard of, so they can't be any good either. And I suppose it is, like again, pre-internet, pre-Wikipedia, pre-YouTube, pre-having access to being able to watch games from all around the world at the fucking drop of a hat, like, He just had that ignorance about certain clubs and they'd never done anything before.
0: But the contrast, the contrast with them, the, the, the opposition in the 77 European cup final that we spoke about last week. <gasps> I mean, you know, we, 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 never mind Wikipedia, YouTube, all the rest of it. We, you weren't alive. And I, you know, I was, I was, I was a, a mere, a mere child, but that doesn't matter because you, you know, these players had such massive reputations and have been involved in so many great, great things. This lot just not the case as you've, outline there really taken several times during the coverage by Jose Manuel Esnal Pardo the manager who seemed to advertise in the paper for a lad who looked exactly like him to sit beside him on the bench and look pissed off for the duration of the match that was a constant highlight for me two balding mustachioed angry looking men sitting there in their sports jackets on the bench that that uh, uh, worth worth watching for that alone um i don't know what they were trying to go for there but it was a remarkable sort of effect that they created and the we should get into the details of the match, Dave, and I'll start with you uh, and we'll we'll take it from there. And like I said, you know, we set ourselves up pretty well early on um, with Owen and Heskey up front, Fowler waiting on the bench. That's a, a good sign. Um, we are going for this third trophy of the season. Um, everyone was building it up. It was all anyone was talking about in the build up because That particular combo was unprecedented. And as well as that, we had the... Which we didn't think was going to be necessary, especially after the start of the game, uh, the first 16 minutes or so, or 25 minutes or so. We didn't think this was going to be necessary, but we had the alluring uh, golden goal experiment waiting for us uh, if the match finished at 90 uh, minutes on level terms, which it does. So we begin, really, the first event of note is us going one up Uh it's McAllister's free kick floated in from about 25 yards and the aforementioned Marcus Babel getting up, lovely header past Herrera and goals, um, and sort of a sign of things to come with Alaves looking a bit scattered at the back and yeah. us then perhaps looking like we could make these set pieces pay, did, did we ever, but, um. In that opening section, you know, we also have on on the nine-minute mark, McAllister just about misses Heskey, who's running into space in the Alibes half because Heskey was always running into space. Uh, they pick up their first booking because they are rattled. Astadillo, I think, opens Heskey with a really wild challenge. Uh, McAllister then gets himself in the book for chatting at the referee. Uh, alvarez still looking fairly sort of ragged at this stage. 13 minutes in, they have their first dig on target. It's a free kick, 25 yards out. It's beautifully bent around the wall, but Vesterveld gets across to deny them an equaliser. Uh, alvarez Starting to find a little bit of their feet at that point, but just as they do, 16 minutes, we go two up. It's Haman, who plays the ball to Owen around the centre of the park. Uh, uh, Owen looks up, he sees Gerard running ahead, he threads a ball in through to him, and Gerard's finish with this beautiful tango football under the keeper is excellent. And we look like we're running away with it, Dave.
2: We do. We absolutely do. Uh, I should admit here, I missed the first goal uh, at the time because I was too busy arguing with my mate who was <laughs> stood next to me and the fella behind us who insisted that he had to put his hands on our shoulders. So the three of us are having an argument. I'm turned around get, telling this fella to get his hand off me. And all of a sudden the whole place is going mental and we decide then at that moment... It's absolutely fine to put your hand on my shoulder, buddy. Don't worry about it. No, we're one up and we're running away with this thing. Um, so, yeah, I knew Marcus Babel had scored. I didn't see the goal for probably a year or two afterwards because I didn't watch any replays of the game. Yeah. But, yeah, Marcus Babel with a, with a great header. Like, it's a gorgeous delivery. He ghosts in between defenders and it's, it's a great header. Um, as you said, like, they had a couple of... And it looked like it was going to be one of those kind of back-and-forth games. But when we get that second goal, you do just assume, that's it, game over. Like, we've got, at that time, a great defence. Babel, Hancho, Hoopia, Carriger, and Didi sitting in front of them. You're looking and thinking, there's no way they're scoring twice. Like, it, it, they might get one, but if they do, we'll get a third. This is over. And that was that was genuinely the mood among the fans at that game, was... This is now over. They're not scoring twice in this game. And again, it's it's largely down to our own ignorance. But also the faith we had in this defence that, you know, had been so good throughout the season, had been so strong round after round in all the different cups in, in the league. It was just, you couldn't foresee a circumstance in which they were going to score two goals. Um and if they did, you felt like we'd get more because we had Owen, we had Heskey, we had Fowler to come off the bench. So it was very much jubilation when that Gerard goal went in. But you, you highlighted the, the bit of play. Haman into Owen. It's a great first touch to open his body up. And a lovely little pass through the defense for Gerard to run onto. Perfectly weighted. And Stevie just needs to smash it home. But what happens here, Trev, is. One of the more interesting and ballsy moves I've ever seen in a major game by a manager were 22 minutes in and they take off one of their three centre-backs and throw on another forward. They throw on Alonso for Egan. Now, if you're Egan, you're going to be feeling fairly sour about this, obviously, because you've just been taken off and neither of the goals were your fault. But... I think you have to give massive credit to their manager for just saying if we're going out we're get, we're getting hammered here we're not just going to lie down for this lot we're going to go out swinging here and he brings on a striker who has a fairly immediate impact
0: yeah 4 minutes uh, and he is uh, pulling them uh, back in the game at 2-1 because we're kind of caught in a hop a bit uh, Ivan Alonso, the lad who's come on, who's come on, pulls away from Marcus Babbel, gets up well at the far post and heads in a nice cross by Contra. Uh, so you of course the, you're you're looking at uh, the grumpy looking uh, Pardo there going fair play. I think his his nickname was Mane, actually, I think he was known as um <clears throat> and as you say, a really, really important uh, uh, um, intervention and 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 start swung the game back in their favor where it could really have gotten ugly for them and uh I just want to, before I go to Harry to finish out that first half, I just want to ask you something. As someone who was there, Like again, I had very much the impression that the dominant uh, supporter force was the Reds, was the travelling cop. That's how it felt to me Mm. with all the packages I watched. Is that what it was actually like in the stadium? Was it as we always expect for a Liverpool game, unless UEFA get their meddling hands into it too much, we expect that it's going to be a dominant uh, amount of supporters for the Reds. It's always been that way in the club's history. Uh, I didn't get any figures on that. Did it look that way to you? Did it feel that way to you, Martha, to the point?
2: It, it felt like three quarters of the stadium was Liverpool fans. It felt like it was it was a home game. Yeah. Because they, they, they were congregated mostly in one end, and they didn't even fill the end. Like, there were... A couple of gaps in there because they let's be fair, they're not a huge club by any means. Like their home stadium only holds 19,500 and they don't sell it out regularly. They're not a big club with with big support. Um, They've got a very loyal supporter base and I will say their fans never stop making noise. Now, we thought when we said, like, when the, the the area I was in when we saw the substitution been made on twenty-two, we thought it was the funniest thing we'd ever seen. Like yeah. you're just gonna hook a guy off after twenty minutes of the European final. And there was people singing na 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 good, you know, goodbye and whatever else at him. Um but yeah, I mean it was. it felt it did it felt like a home game. And in the city on the day of the game, it was almost like being in Liverpool because every accent you heard was either a Scouse accent, an English accent, or an Irish accent? There was, there was the Germans just sort of were like, well, just take care of our city, but you know, don't fucking wreck the place, and just sort of withdrew as the swarms took over. And you have to remember as well, like this was our first European final since Heisel. Yeah. So this was a very important moment in our history. We had been. Almost erased off the European map because it had been so long. We'd had a couple of forays into Europe under Sunes and under under Evans that always ended spectacularly badly. Um, I can remember as a young man being very upset watching Genoa beat us with Thomas Scaravi up front, um, but resolving to make Genoa my the, the Italian club. I would trail because they had lovely uh, kits, but. This was sort of, this was Gerard Houllier putting us back on the European map, but like I say, it had been the first final in 16 years, so you had a lot of, a lot of reds that had never been to a European final. Obviously, like, those who were around in the 70s and 80s were absolutely spoiled. Two UEFA Cup finals, five European Cup finals, seven European finals plus Super Cup finals in... 12 13 year span like it was ludicrous they were spoiled for it whereas my generation your generation we'd never gotten to go to a final before we were all too young to go in the early 80s and that and we didn't get to go in the 90s because well the, the, the ban for the first couple of years and then just how bad we were so yeah I think this was sort of a lot of people who had just been waiting for this moment, this opportunity to go to a big European final and support their team. And it was, it was, it was just, it was, I would say 75, 80% Liverpool fans, especially in the city. And there was a lot that went to the city that didn't actually go to the game. Yeah. Like they stayed in the bars and that outside.
0: It's such a gorgeous trophy as well. It's just and such it's, a gorgeous it's trophy. It's a nicer
2: trophy than Big Ears.
0: I, yeah, yeah, it's just aesthetically beautiful, and when we win it at the end, it's it's we're, we go level with I think Juve and maybe one other club as the team that's won, won it the most at that point. I think three victories and Harry, like we can fly through a good chunk of this game now to bring us into the second half. Uh, uh, maybe even go as far as three three. And I'll get you to pick out the bits from it that, that I go through here that you want to go through. Uh like I say, as we as as they get back into it via uh Ivan Alonso, um there is a bit of a shift. Uh Contra's doing very well on the right for them, whipping over crosses. Uh is involved there, putting those out. He then honcho is a bit of a, a mare, he kind of misjudges a ball into Moreno. Who can't control it? Uh, And Babel gets his pal out of a bit of shtick there. Uh, Vesterville has to make a save at the far post. And we're very much at this point on the back foot. Uh, Babel with another great tackle on on Moreno uh, on the byline. Uh, He's really earning his corn as Marcus Babel tonight. Uh, The. Pressure continues. We're on the rack. Moreno's coming into this game. Uh, he has a chance just outside the six-yard box. He dummies Honcho, takes two touches, shoots. Uh, Vesterveld stands up and stops it. But even though they're building up ahead of steam, we actually then go down the other end uh, with a rare attack. It's a long ball down, I think. I think it's uh, Didi Yaman who plays it, uh, gets Owen away, and he's taken out Gary Mack puts the ball in the spot and finishes it to Herrera's left. So we recover our lead, our two-goal lead, uh, Alves do have a free kick but it comes to nothing and it's very uh, like nicely poised but we've sort of gotten away with the one there to be going ahead but it doesn't last they do make more changes on halftime Magno comes on for Astudio uh, and uh, Heskey gets away on the left hand side but doesn't uh, doesn't do anything with his cross on um, 47 minutes and on 48 minutes they're back in it again it's Contra who's doing a lot of damage on that side twisting, turning floats over across Mare Moreno heads it uh, home and it's a, a, a really good finish, leaving them right back in it. 50 minutes, we're under pressure again at the back. Honcho again struggling, gives away a free kick just over 20 yards out. Moreno steps up, shapes up to it, blasts it under a, a wall which jumps over the freaking ball and it goes to the back of the net and it's 3-3 in this bananas football match. Of that section of the game, Harry... Um, both your memories from the time and in review, it really did shift dramatically in terms of the balance of play and the uh, propensity for both teams to look shaky as hell at the back, which, as Dave says, we should never be doing with the personnel we had.
3: Yeah, it was it was remarkable to see how I mean just how well we started the game and the goals that we get the the lead and then you look at yeah as you mentioned the defenders that we had what I remembered of sort of Julio as well in terms of not being necessarily like a a cavalier coach that would necessarily be okay with leaking loads of goals or things like that and um, yeah so when when they did get back into it um, and again I think it's probably sort of a, a byproduct of you know, what we find ourselves doing on Raw most regularly, right, where we're trying to dissect goals and usually looking at, you know, sort of athletes who are very, very uh, talented, making slight misjudgments or things like that, or trying to sort of spot where the errors are, but this time it was it was all a lot, it was amazing to see how ragged um, we let ourselves become, considering some of the personnel who were out there, so I was even thinking around that, that, first, that first goal that they get back, which is the header, I mean, I was watching it back again and again, and thinking that am I being harsh here given how close he was to goal with that header or is it just is, is the goal and is the header actually incredibly central and uh Vestivel just, just sort of jumps but doesn't sort of even uh seem to have time to make an effort or even perhaps I was being harsh there but again we're sort of used to these standards that we've seen over the past few years right of uh of Allison always being in the right place and um yeah watching things I mean the as you mentioned that Telez effort them coming back into it Moreno um, his his goal, and then obviously the, the couple goals in quick succession. I mean, I thought the first one is like it's, it's Carragher um, in that unfamiliar position to me. In terms of sort of you know, the the bulk of his career, to me is obviously what we remember of him as centre back. So even right from the off, when I saw the lineup, I was just, oh yeah, I remember he used to play yeah, from time to time in, in in the fullback positions as he made his way into cementing his place as a centre-back uh but I mean to me I, I was I was looking at that for a minute one thinking he's going to get targeted and I, I wasn't too surprised that they did seem to attack down his flank an awful lot uh and as sort of determined a defender as he was I mean he gets turned inside out for that cross for the first Moreno goal and then the uh the second one I I, mean, I suppose there's just somebody somewhere who was the pioneer of that you know uh, fella lying down behind the behind the wall, just you know tapping his head and telling <laughs> there you go, you know, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is what it's for. And I remember, um, you know, we've had our own players who've who've sort of used that technique from time to time. Uh, Phil Coutinho and others who uh, sort of did that with a lot of success. But even watching it, I was like. Well, does he really rifle it? I mean, he doesn't really. It's like sort of a bobbled shot. Uh, But because the wall jumps so early, I think it goes under Heskey. Um, Yeah, it goes in. And then I think we're used to it, right? In in any particular game, despite the quality of the opposition and sort of the gap in quality, uh, you know, goals in quick succession like that can really, you know, unsettle players. And I thought from that point onwards, yeah, it's... I was was so stunned how they managed to drag themselves back into the game um, because they they looked really, really nervous and anxious early on. Um, And yeah, you could just see the confidence that had come back into them and and the nervousness that had creeped into us. And I remember as I was watching it, Noting that uh, Stefan Honcho was getting more and more rash, <laughs> and reminding me of some of the the highlight Honcho's moments um, of his uh, of his time at Liverpool. So uh, yeah, it was um, it, it felt it felt a familiar feeling, Trevor. To be honest, I feel like irrespective of how brilliant we've become or whatever there's been these one off games and often they're in cup finals where the tension just seems to get to players at times and um what should be routine or should be a professional job suddenly becomes sort of a you know, chaos gets uh, sort of thrown into it we you,
0: you know you you mentioned Holschov and and Jed makes the call to hook him for Vladismeier from 56 he does yeah. Uh, uh, Heskey comes on uh, sorry Fowler comes on for Heskey on 64 and Robbie mm. scores a goal that really should win it Harry it's on 73 minutes he picks it yeah. up on the edge of the area it's a great ball through to him from, from Gary Mack he kind of turns and he slots with his right foot inside the left goalpost post yeah, on the nice. keeper yeah. it's just a magnificent goal uh, from a natural finisher and it really should win the game Owen is left up top on his own for for the rest of the of of, of the ninety, until we get to the eighty minute, where Vesterveld concedes a corner, it gets swung over, and of course because it's this game, Cruyff gets up ahead of everybody and heads at home. It's level, mm. and we're into this golden gold thing. Now, there's too much bloody drama here, Harry. It's, it's just too much. <laughs> you can't you can't get your head around it. I remember. I should say it, so Vesterveld,
3: Like, go ahead. I, I, I was just going to say, I, I, watching him back, I got sort of forgotten that Vesterveld very nearly gives away a penalty before he concedes that.
1: Yes, before he concedes
3: yeah. the corner uh, that Cruyff is running in. So it's like, yeah, the, these moments of nervousness, and then suddenly you can see that, you know, it's, we, we haven't got a keeper at that stage who's you know, as level headed as what we're used to these days. Um, and you're right, yeah, that that foul goal, goal, uh, the really good example of, you know, but everyone's thinking he, he probably wants to hit onto his left foot and just, buys himself enough time to sort of find the angle, slots it with his right. Um, I, I remember at this point noting that the passing suddenly became really poor and people were underhitting passes all over the shot. Uh, and the underhitting of passes was leading to some some very interesting tackles that were going on. For I remember there was a, a dreadful one by Carmona. And obviously it comes back to, to bite him later on when he picks up another one. But a truly dreadful, probably a red... Um, then and probably a red now, certainly a red now as well. Um, and also, we're just one thing as well, Chad, When that change was made for Stefan Honchos to go off, there was a very interesting sort of reshuffle at the back, and you just forget that you know that there were days when it would be uh, Carragher still kept as as the left back. Babble slotting in next to Hoopier and uh, Gerard just suddenly just uh, mm. you know, nods his head and goes, "Yeah, I'll play. I'll play right back." And so suddenly we you lose Although him. Although he didn't nod
2: his head, he, he was told, "You get yourself <laughs> back there, son. Yeah. You get yourself back there." Um, it's worth pointing out that an undiscussed theme of this game is that Danny Murphy had an absolute stinker, and from about fifty onwards. There were people loudly screaming at Jared Holier to get him off because he was doing nothing on the ball, and he was getting absolutely tortured by Cosmin Contra from right wing back. Yeah, and Harry mentioned how they were just attacking down our left, their right, and it was because they had their right winger and Cosmin Contra both running a Carragher while mm. Danny Murphy was scratching his hole. Um, so oh. you know when Danny Murphy goes to sleep at night and remembers that game. He should be apologising to, to Jamie Carragher every single time because he just left him out to burn. It was absolutely shambolic how poor he was. But Gerrard at right back, Gerard goes to right back, and a few people around me are moaning and been like, "What? Why is he? Why is he putting Stevie to right back? Why is he putting Stevie to right back?" And some fella was just adamant. That's his best position. That's where he's going to end up long term. <laughs> adamant he was that this is where he was going to be long term. And uh,
0: thank you. was uh, the case. <laughs> he loves doing that in the European final. Lot to be fair to Stevie, uh, we should we should get this wrapped up because the golden goal is only a, any crack if it happens after two or three minutes. All it does, otherwise, if it doesn't come till the twenty seventh freaking minute, is make everybody unbelievably uncomfortable and tense. Mm. And that's exactly what this was. There were lads flying in, boys getting sent off. It was absolute carnage, that 27 minutes of football. And in many ways, lads, this is the way that this game should have ended with a corner swung in and a defender putting through his own uh, net with a glorious glancing backwards header uh, to defeat his own keeper. Because it was a crazy match that... There was enough moments of brilliance and periods of dominance from us that we could say we possibly deserved, that Robbie's goal should have won it. But we were also skittish enough that you couldn't say that. And Alavez had earned the opportunity to pip us at the post. Uh, thankfully, they didn't. And we're kind of at wrap-up time here on the show specifically. And I just want to get any kind of finishing thoughts that you both have. And Dave, I'll start with you and then we'll finish with Harry and uh, we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up with that. But just, you know, in terms of a cultural event uh, in the club's history, you know it's hard to overestimate we you've you've talked quite eloquently about what this meant and and the the gap uh, of time it was since we had been in one before a european final before uh, this really felt incredible for all the anxiety of the match it felt incredible. this treble meant a lot to me personally, and I'm sure to a lot of Liverpool fans and the primary thing Dave is we're winning freaking trophies again yeah. that's all you can that's all you can ask for
2: it is all you can ask for. Um, I mean, I, I remember coming away from the game just not even happy, just fucking relieved yeah. because when it goes into the golden goal, like they could get a fluke goal and beat us here and, the, and we don't get the chance to restart the game and, and go and try and equalize or anything. So the whole crowd is on edge here. And then the wheels start to come off for them. Obviously, Magno gets sent off for the late tackle on, I think, Marcus Babel on halfway. And then uh, Carmona gets sent off for dragging down Vladi, which leads to the free kick that Gary Mack puts in. And the funniest thing is, like, the Gary Mack free kick is a poor free kick. He underhits it massively. And if if um, Gelly just leaves it alone, the keeper comes out and gets it. with no No Liverpool player in the vicinity. Like, there's no Liverpool player within two to three yards of the ball as it's flicked into the net. It's a bad free kick by Gary Mack. But it was kind of fitting that that's how we won the day because Gerrard scores a really good goal in this final. Fowler scores a really good goal in this final. Owen would have scored a really good goal but was dragged down and obviously there was the Gary Mack penalty as a result of that. The Babel one, you could say, was maybe bad defending. But all of their goals are dreadful. From our point of view, like Alonso's in a mile of space and he's up against, we've got four defenders on the pitch that are all well over six foot. Carragher's the short of them and he's like six one six two. Um, The two Moreno goals, the, the first one's a great header because he has to kind of head it kind of backwards, but it's a great header. But he's in miles of space with nobody around him in our penalty area and you're wondering what's happened. Harry mentioned the second Moreno goal, which is a bobbling free kick that goes basically centre of the goal. But Vesteveld's too busy giving out to the wall to bother trying to save the shot. And then Jordi Cruyff scoring a header. Uh, Stevie Gerrard not covering himself in glory with his man marking on the corner. And Vesteveld obviously making a bit of a hames of things there as well. So, you know, you felt like we deserved to win the game. So for us to win the game on a, on a shitty goal uh, was was really nice. And it was like, this was, like I said, this was the game that put us back on the map in Europe. This got us back to, you know, not the mountain top, but certainly one of the, the secondary peaks of the mountain. And it, this is the springboard from which 2005 happens. Because this is the European campaign that hardens Sami Hippia that hardens Jamie Carragher, that hardens Steven Gerrard. This is the European campaign that gives them the nous and the experience of what it takes to go deep in Europe and maintain a solid presence in the league and the cups and be able to spread yourself across the competitions, be able to come from behind, be able to overcome adversity. Without Jed and the foundations he built at Liverpool, Rafa Benitez's era is... Probably a damp squib. It it doesn't include the European Cup in '05. It just doesn't because, like Didi Hamann, another key part of that European Cup team. There's there's four starters in this game who started in that European Cup final. Vladi Schmeitzer comes off the bench as he would four years later uh, to play a fairly important role. Like, this is the foundation of that Liverpool team in '05, And obviously, it was Jed getting Liverpool into the Champions League in the 2004 league season that gave us the ability to play in that European Cup final. And it always strikes me that when people talk about the great Liverpool managers, Julier is always overlooked. Always overlooked. And for me, because of what he did and because of the trophies he won, And how he turned the culture of the club around from the Spice Boys era of Roy Evans. And by the way, just in case anyone's unaware of this, this is a random fact of the day. That Liverpool team, the White Suits, they weren't called the Spice Boys at the time. Because that FA Cup final took place five months before the Spice Girls released their first single. So they were retrospectively called the Spice Boys. But... Julier took that culture out of the club and put in a culture of winning. And that culture of winning lasted through his era, through Rafa's era, before Hodgson came in and just butchered the whole thing. I would have Jed above Rafa on my list of Liverpool managers. I know Rafa won a European Cup, and I'll always be grateful to him for that. But he doesn't do it without Hulia. And I think there's a reason why Certain players, Carragher, Gerrard, probably the two most important players of both managers' era. If we take that, their two eras as one time span. I think if they were asked to pick a manager, I think they'd both pick Jed. I think he made both of them into the players that Rafa was able to build his team around. And um, never has a man deserved the success that we had that season more than him. Because he put up with a lot of shit because the football wasn't great to watch or anything like that. But he knew how to win. And he wasn't afraid to make the big decisions. And obviously, as fans, we didn't agree with a lot of them. We didn't agree with replacing Fowler in the team. We didn't agree with selling Fowler a year later either. And yet, he was big enough to do it and take the flack. And yeah, Jed, may he rest in pieces, is, is someone that we should all be very, very thankful that we had in our lives for. You know the six years he was at Liverpool.
0: Yeah, transformative man in the club's history for sure. And Harry, to finish with you, then any takeaways for you from this remarkable uh, match uh, of great significance in the history of the club?
3: Yeah, just echoing a lot of what Dave said there around. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it, obviously, when I first watched it, it was it, it was nowhere near as apparent to me, sort of, you know, the the significance of. You know bringing a winning culture back into the club you know the fact that they'd obviously been a period of of uh of more sort of poor form, um sort of forming the league and not winning uh competitions for a number of years um sort of since the glory days so it, it wasn't as uh, sort of prescient to me but um of course you know the, the i i think Julier does deserve a huge amount of credit for bringing back that winning culture to the club the a, a treble, any way you want to put it is a historic achievement. Uh, and I think the way in which it was it was achieved made it feel even more sort of uh, important. And uh, yeah, not only the players that he brought in, but I, I I'd agree with Dave on that he he always struck me as a manager who who wasn't afraid. To, to make decisions that he thought wouldn't necessarily be agreed with or wouldn't be the most popular, um, because that was what needed to be done to, to, to get this ship to turn the corner, um, after the few, the few years that it had had and some of the, some of the more bad, uh, sort of habits that perhaps crept into, into the dressing room. So, yeah. that on Hulie himself, and I think he's a yeah, he's a really important figure in the club's history and uh, the journey that the club has been on since ever since him. To be honest, um, both in embracing different kinds of players, but also uh, embracing different ways to to win in a more modern approach in the, the game itself. Yeah, j- j- just had me. Uh, a lot of fond memories of seeing players in their in their young days just emerging, obviously around, you know, sort of Stevie and a few others there. Some cult heroes that I obviously loved. Um, that I think I've already mentioned in Babel and Hoopier and um, you know, Gary Mack, for example. Um, and then I, I think it just lastly just reminded me of you know, I've watched a number of games since then, even though I was very young when I first watched uh, that season um the you know routine not routine that's a bit disrespectful but games games where you feel like you know we're, we're the better team here we should be able to you know especially when a couple goals ahead just shut up shop um and um i've watched watched games like that in numerous different locations with numerous different people uh and uh the sheer commitment of uh this liverpool team up until sort of quite recently but still recently um to making those games as nerve-wracking as possible uh <laughs> has uh <laughs> has never left me to be honest and i i i long for the day um where we have a really really boring controlled 2-0 cup final success or whatever um because I've, yeah, we, we've dealt with you know, heroic performances where we lose or like performances against teams where we should easily be, beat them uh, where we have to end up sort of doing it on penalties or something like that. And this was just one of those examples, I think, where, yeah, I mean, with the greatest respect in the world, Alaves should not be causing us the the issues that they ended up doing, but it just shows you sort of what can happen in cup competitions. But yeah, wonderful trophy to, to lift at the end of it um, and yeah, capped a, a wonderful season.
0: You know what? I think we will finish on that particular note. Dave, I know we've been sort of discussing and suggesting in advance at the end of the show what we're going to do in the next one. I had a thought. Perhaps we could pick two or three and let people vote on what one is the next one. What do you reckon? We do a poll or something like that.
2: That sounds like a good idea.
0: So we'll, we'll, we'll pick a few out of the hat and we'll let uh, mm-hmm. listeners make the call on it for the next one. And I want to thank Dave and Harry for being so eloquent about this particular game and uh, taking the time to look back over it um, so that we can do this show for you. Hopefully you've enjoyed it, a little slice of the past. That's what Raw Retro's all about. Uh, I've been Trev Downey. You heard Dave Hendrick and Harry Sethi. Guy Drinkle is producing. And we'll be back with the next one very
1: soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show.